The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Fully and completely clear this morning, and that your work would be done in the hearts of each one of us. We give this to you, and we ask it in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, chapter 46 tells of Jacob's departure from Beersheba. We saw that last week where he took the family and they went to Beersheba and they offered sacrifices seeking God's will. Jacob was excited to see his son, but in the reality was he was going to have to leave his land. Beersheba was the farthest point in the land. From that point forward, it was desert, and after that was Egypt, and he knew Egypt, he knew the reputation, and he was very unsure about going forward. But as we saw last week, God spoke to him there and gave him the peace and the assurance of where he could go. The third part of the chapter then tells of his arrival in Egypt and the reception by Joseph. Now, easily, chapter 46 and 47 could be one chapter because it deals with the wonderful reception of Jacob by Joseph and also by Pharaoh. And then the rest of 47 goes on to share about Joseph's management of the remaining years of famine. You know, it occurs to me that the reception could have been quite different. How often do children reach a place of prominence and forget their parents who gave them their start? And how about Pharaoh? In Egypt, shepherds were detestable, and yet Pharaoh welcomed them with open arms. Well, the reason for all this, of course, is Joseph. Joseph honored his father as the law would later instruct his children to do, and it was for his sake that Pharaoh also acted kindly. The reunion of Joseph and Jacob after 22 years is an emotional scene, and it should be. It's one we can understand only if we get to see the inner feelings in the hearts of these men. When we saw Joseph's naming his two sons, we began to understand the loneliness that he was feeling. Naming one son literally forgetful because he was able to forget the pain of his former life. And then the other he named meaning double blessing because God had blessed him in the place of his persecution. Joseph went to Egypt as a slave. He was very confused, very turned inside out in his life at that point. Yet he began to understand that God was working clearly in his life. And when we saw Joseph uh, moving forward and the brothers coming, the prominent changes that took place and everything that happened, the whole story of Joseph began to take life and take on meaning for us. How, how many times must he have laid in bed at night, thinking back of those early days in Canaan, and his father and his mother, and been so lonely? Chapter 45 is even more revealing. This is the part of the story in which Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and the words are these, I am Joseph, is my father still living? His father was chiefly on his mind. Verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of world Egypt. Come down to me and don't tarry. And then verse 13, 
You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. All through these passages, we see the yearning in his heart, the desperation to see his father once again. There's another detail that gives us an insight into the window of his heart, and I'm referring to his tears. I'm sure there were many tears early on in his life as he was pulled, the rug was pulled out from under him. Uh, We don't really read of those. Instead of feeling sorry for himself, he learned to trust God and rejoice in the circumstances that were dealt him. And how difficult it was after the brothers finally came and he is forced to deal with them harshly. But the true heart of Joseph is revealed in the reunion as a wonderful example of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And for the next 17 years of his life, there is great joy as he has the opportunity to live with his father once again and with their family and with their brothers and their renewed love and compassion. But Jacob eventually dies. And when Jacob dies, the brothers begin to panic. The brothers are now concerned that what if Joseph, in honor of his father, has been really just letting things go, and now that the father is gone, he's going to get even with them. And they began to panic. So what I want us to do now is I want us to turn ahead to Genesis chapter 50. And I want us to see God meant it for good. Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to begin in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, of the God of your fathers. Joseph wept when they spoke it to him. You know, I think Joseph wept because he was crushed. He had been caring for them. They had a wonderful 17 years together. And now that they would think that he's going to turn on them, I think it was hard for Joseph at this moment. His brothers also came and fell down before him, and they said, Behold, we are your servants, or slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You know, how quickly we are to judge others. How often we delight in pointing out the failures of other Christians or other people for that reason. You recall what Jesus said when he came to this earth and in John 12, verse 47, he said, I do not come to judge, but to seek and to save those who are lost. And how often have we referred to that tremendous example of the adulterous woman where she was dragged and thrown before Jesus and all the men stood around with stones ready to stone her to death. Because what she had done was a crime punishable by death under the law. And you know that Jesus said, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And the story tells us that one by one, they walked away from the eldest to the younger. 
And then we're giving a tremendous insight into the heart of Jesus. Because he says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. And then Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Joseph is saying, look, am I God? Am I in his place to judge? Joseph, a type of Christ, did what Christ did. He offered grace and mercy and love, even to these brothers who had mistreated him. And then he goes on to say one of the most powerful things in all of Scripture. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. (laughs) These vile, repulsive, evil brothers have not only received forgiveness, have not only received mercy and grace, they now have all their needs met. You see, when you come to Christ, you place yourself into His care. And Philippians 4.19 becomes so real. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Joseph says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good, and I will take care of you. Now, I know this is tough to grasp. Years ago, there, there was an elderly minister, minister to whom God gave marvelous ability to minister to his congregation in times of difficulty and stress. He had an old bookmark, and some of you may have it in your Bible this morning, but I bet you've had one over the years. It's one of those bookmarks that has silk thread that's woven through it, and there's a little motto on one side. But on the other side, it's all gnarly and threads and knots, and it's just a mess. And uh, you may have one of those right now. Well, what he would do is he would go into a, a home of someone who was troubled, sudden sickness, sorrow, even death, and where the believers were puzzled about what God was really doing. He would show the bookmark first presenting the gnarly thread side, and he would show it to them. And after the befuddled people would examine the mess, he would then turn it over. And there they would see beautifully embroidered color against a bright background, God is love. And you know, it's so much like life. We live through events that seem tangled and meaningless, But they appear that way only because we're seeing them through our eyes, through the tangled, messy side. But once we see the other side, the way God looks, we begin to understand that he is working in those situations for his glory. But fear is back. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy food and Joseph had at last revealed himself to them, you recall they were absolutely paralyzed with fear. They couldn't speak. They couldn't move. When they suddenly realized that the power of the Egyptian prime minister had them right where he wanted them. And they were helpless to do anything about it. 
they, had, they thought he would kill them for sure. Just like those who were ready to throw stones at the adulterous women thought Jesus would do. But instead, they found Joseph to be moved by great love. They came to Egypt with their father, Jacob, and then lived there under Joseph's protection for nearly 20 years. But then Jacob suddenly died, and suddenly fear was back. How often, having been gloriously saved and resting in the power of God, then a difficult situation comes through our lives and we're suddenly paralyzed with fear. Guilt of old sins raises its ugly head and we think, okay, here it is, now I'm going to get it. And we, our faith begins to wane. We feel like whenever something goes bad, it's going to get us. Guilt is overpowering. Genesis 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to them. They may have recalled when his father Isaac died, Esau had planned vengeance against Jacob. In fact, in Genesis 27, uh, verse 41, he said, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. What if Joseph was like this? What if he had been holding back out of love and respect for their father? Now there would be nothing in the way of his retribution. What if? What if? Just, what if? So they came to Joseph with this argument. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brother and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your fathers. You know, Jacob may have said that and he may not have said it. I tend to think he didn't say it. Because the way they worded it sounds like a, a well thought out plan for protection. A little deception out of desperation. Then to humble themselves before Joseph, verse 18, we are your slaves. So they bow to him. But once again, they find to their relief that Joseph was entirely forgiving. In fact, he had forgiven them long before, though they had distrusted him. Joseph assured them in what is surely one of the greatest statements in Scripture. And we saw it already, but verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. And isn't that just like our Lord? Isn't that just like our Jesus? Who comforts us in time of need. Who says, cast all your cares upon me. Because I care for you. 
Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. The same way Joseph dealt with the brothers is the same way Christ deals with you and I today. Sure, we make mistakes. We mess up. But we have a forgiving heavenly father who longs to lavish love on us and draws close to him. And this is such a blessed truth that we have. So you meant it for evil. You know, there's a fascinating study, if you ever take the time to do it. It's looking at all the verses that contain the phrase, but God. Let me just share a few with you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. 1 Corinthians 2.10, King James Version. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Acts 13.30, But God raised him from the dead. You see, all of these texts have as their background man's sin and what they deserve and God's unfailing love instead. For each of these texts, there is on the one hand a dreadful, sinful reality, and on the other, there is an aspect of the greatness of God's love that overcomes it. We deserve death, but God. And this is the case in Genesis 50, verse 20. But God intended it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That thing that is messing your life up right now, it may be meant for evil, but God means it for good. It's a powerful reality to understand. And this is a very forceful testimony. But its strength comes from the contrast with what precedes it, namely the hurt intended by those who scorned or hated Joseph. This was real scorn. It was real hate, not placating. It is only against the background of the reality of this evil that the good providence of God has real meaning. Do you see how all of this allows us to be forgiving to those who wrong us. To have a gentle heart and a spirit against those who seem to want our destruction. Joseph suffered many things. The hatred of his brothers, the cruelty of a prominent and influential woman, the forgetfulness of a friend. Joseph lay forgotten in prison for two full years. And that, on the top of his brother's malicious hatred and Mrs. Potiphar's hot scorn. Few persons in history have suffered 
as intensely and as unjustly as Joseph. But it is precisely against this dark storm of evil that our text containing Joseph's testimony to God's providence shines most brightly. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I'm not God. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you understand the reality of that statement? Do you understand our gracious God? What gave Joseph the grace to make this remarkable reply? Well, there's only one answer. Joseph knew God. He knew God intimately. He knew God's character. He knew the mind of God. And therefore, he was able to view everything through the leading of the God. And particularly, he knew two things about God. He knew that God is sovereign and that nothing, ever comes into the life of any one of his children that he has not approved first. There are no accidents. And he knew that God is good. Therefore, the things that come into our lives by God's sovereignty are for our benefit and for others and not to harm us. What Joseph saw and spoke of in this next to last scene of his earthly life is what the Apostle Paul wrote about so eloquently hundreds of years later, and we've seen it again and again and again. You know what I'm talking about? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. That, quite frankly, could easily have been the title of this series. It's impossible to overestimate the wonder of this verse. It teaches many things, but there are three keys that it teaches. That if you will get these down this morning, trust me, it will revolutionize your life. Number one, God is working for the good of those who love him. This is what Joseph saw. On the surface, he saw much that looked very bad. It reminds me of Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you are familiar with her. She saw numerous reversals in her early years as a missionary and then endured the loss of two husbands, one murdered by the Aka Indians and the other slowly destroyed by cancer. If you've ever read Through Gates of Splendor and understand the story, you knew that her husband was so sold out to Christ and so devoted to missions. He had planned all through his four years of college to go to the mission field and to reach those people in that lost field. <clears throat> the Aka Indians were one of them. He graduated <clears throat> soon and, and married Elizabeth, and <clears throat> they were making plans to go down and and a group of, of his friends were in a small plane. They were circling the area, and they saw these Indians congregating. So they managed to put the plane down on a narrow strip of beach by a river. And they got out, and they began to, 
to warmly address these Indians and to reach out to them in love and to show the grace of God. But in a moment, it turned bad. And the Indians murdered all of them on the beach. A life that was given to Christ for missions didn't even get off the beach. She writes, The experiences of my life are not such that I could infer from them that God is good, gracious, and merciful. To have had one husband murdered and the other disintegrated body, soul, and spirit through cancer is not what you would call proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks like just the opposite. But this is not how a Christian judges things by sight. Not at all. My belief in the love of God is not by inference or instinct, she wrote. It is by faith. To apprehend God's sovereignty working in that love is, we must say it, the last and highest victory of faith that overcomes the world. We don't always see it. We don't always understand what God is doing. But Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't always see what God is doing at the time. Later in that same Hebrews 11, it says of Moses, He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Joseph absolutely believed and trusted God. And no matter what came into his life, he knew God was working through it. And because of that, his strength and his endurance and everything that made him the man he was, wasn't in his strength. It was in God living through him. And how often do we remind ourselves that the love of God is so powerful and he knows our weakness that he not only gave us his word, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to do it through us when we surrender. Number two, all things are controlled by God and therefore work to our good. It was easy for Joseph to look at his rise to prominence and say, obviously God is good. But he didn't stop there. He extended it to include even the hostile and damaging acts of his brothers. We can see that even sin works for good to those who belong to God. And this is where the legalist misses it. Rather than condemning those who fall, we should work with them to see the glory of God and see what he has planned in their failure. Can you say with confidence, can you say with absolute confidence, all things work together for good. Can you say right now in your current life and where you're at, without question, all things are working together for good? Do you believe Romans 8, 28? If all things really means all things, and God is not a liar, then there is truly nothing in your life that can possibly be excluded. And this is why yielding to the Spirit daily is so critical. It replaces your depraved mind with the mind of Christ. And don't miss this. 
Joseph saw the heart of God in every situation because he allowed God to control his mind and his heart. And therefore, he became the man he was. Number three, we can know this and live by it. You you can know this right now, not just reviewing a story of somebody else, but you can know this in your own life right now. If all things work together for good without our knowing it, it would be a wonderful fact, even though we might not find it out much about it until later. But we do not have to wait till later. We can know it now. We can know that all that enters our lives is actually working for our good. And this knowledge is by faith, as I indicated. It's not always sight. But it is nevertheless certain because it is based on the character of God. Who reveals himself to us both sovereignly and benevolently. And this enabled Elizabeth Elliot to write the book she wrote. And by the way, all those Indians that murdered them all came to Christ. And that village was wonderfully saved. And that mission was strongly spread throughout that nation. Jim Elliot never got off the beach. But Christ wasn't done. And that's what he's doing in your life and mine when we allow God to be God. So I want you to see the greatest evil equals the greatest good. Are you still doubting this? Are you still overwhelmed in your life and just really questioning this? Do you still doubt that all things work together for your good? Have you been mistreated and see no good in it? Then consider the greatest tragedy that produced the greatest good. And I'm referring to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is parallel to the story of Joseph because Joseph prefigures Christ in nearly every way. Jesus was our older brother, sent to a foreign land for our rescue. He was favored by his father, but he became a slave. And then later rose to the highest position of power in order to seek us out and save us. Most significantly, he was hated by his brethren. The very ones that his father sent to save hated him, wanted him out of the way, just like the brothers wanted Joseph out of the way. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before her shears is is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet we hated him. He was unjustly arrested and falsely accused. As long as the cross stands in history, No one who knows its meaning will ever be able to pronounce a limitation on God's providence. His work will be done. And when people conspire to harm us and actually inflict wounds born of cruel hatred and indifference, we will not call their evil good. 
Evil remains evil. Sin is still sin. But we will testify before these and the world in a universe ruled by a sovereign, benevolent God, our God, their evil will not succeed. We will say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph, a man for all generations, is a man for our generation today. Will you be Joseph in your sphere of influence? Will you show others how Christ works in spite of what they see? Will you be able to live before an omnipotent God, a world, omnipotent God, and before the world, and clearly show them that Christ lives through you? And no matter what evil is pronounced on you, God means it for our good. I'd like you to listen to a, a song as we close. And I'd like you to really examine your heart right now and decide whether you will be a Joseph, whether you will gain the victory, knowing the victory is there, it's already provided, and that your life will count. Consider that as you listen to the words of this song.
Father, we know that the harm that often befalls us is nothing more than your allowing events to draw us to you, to make us what can be used by you. We admit that it's tough at times. It's hard to know what you're doing. It's hard to, to endure some things, but you don't tempt us above what we're able. You always make a way of escape, and you're doing it to cultivate within us a heart of surrender. This world draws us to ourselves. It draws us to everything we want on our own, but you draw us to you, and you want to create in all of us a surrendered life that will bring glory to you. And Joseph is the optimum example of what that looks like. All he endured, suffering and joy, victory and defeat, were all tools to bring him to the point that you had designed. And help us to realize you're doing that in each one of us, whether we recognize it yet or not. May we get into the word. May we understand your mind, that the mind of Christ would be rich in all of us. Thank you for this study. Thank you for the example of Joseph. And may that planted seed in all of us bloom beautifully as we go from this point. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.